the Secret Circle. And welcome to the Secret Circle with me, Dr. Luke Decker, the podcast where I chat with authors, filmmakers, musicians, and more about the art of their craft and let you in on some of their secrets. Uh, today's guests are the host of Spy Hards. Uh, special agents Scott and Cam are here chatting about podcasts, spy movie landscape, and uh, maybe a little bit of 007 and Mission Impossible. So without further ado, let's bring the two agents on. Hello. Hello. Hello there. Thank you for Welcome. having us on the show. I, I love that it's called Secret Circle. I mean, we like secrets here. But we're exactly. bad with secrets, though. Like, we <laughs> give them all away. That's why we're terrible spies. That's all right. You know, someone has to be the one giving the secrets away so that, you know, things we're, we're can happen. We're creating job opportunities for other spies. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Someone has to sell the secret. You should, what you should be doing, you should be selling them. That's what you should, what you should be doing. Be smart with your secrets and how you give them away. Well, I'm not going to tell you I was telling secrets. Yeah, back uh, alley. You got to yeah. like whisper, whisper, hush, hush, exchange mm. packages. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm I'm glad to get you guys on, and I you know I love listening to your podcast, and and you know you review a whole bunch of interesting films from like the big the big hitters to you know ones I've never heard of, um, <laughs> and it's. Uh, it's 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 quite fascinating because you know I love I love spy movies but you know your guys' investment in that genre um, is uh, far beyond my scope um, but uh, yeah some could say tragic <laughs> <laughs> you know someone's got to do it That's someone's right. got to mm-hmm. do it mm-hmm. um, so but as we as we kick off um, I would actually love to hear about how you two met and began the the spy hards you know, journey? Well, that is a, a question for the ages. And um, it goes back beyond spy movies. It goes back to a, a beloved franchise, much like Bond that's uh, soon to turn 60 itself, which is Star Trek. And there's a little bit of connected tissue between the three of us because I see some Star Trek models in your background there, Cam's yes. background, and there's some sitting above me right now. Um, Cam and I met about 11, maybe 12 years ago now. It, it was 2013. Okay, 10 years ago. It, it just feels like longer for me, clearly. Mm. <laughs> uh, uh, um, at a Star Trek convention in Las Vegas. So not in any of our home countries. I'm in England. He's in Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, and we met at a Star Trek convention of all places. Yeah, and we just became regulars at the Star Trek convention, the biggest one in uh, North America. It's held in Las Vegas every year. Mm. And... We would go on vacation together. We had like a group of about 10 of us, eight to 10, depending on years fluctuating. But we would meet up every year and we're going this year as well. Um, and so we'd known each other for, I guess, like what, like seven years or something like that. And uh, then the pandemic hit. And mm-hmm. that was kind of when the podcast wheels started a rolling because I had been doing a Star Trek podcast since 2014, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were just like, hey, there's a pandemic on. We obviously can't go out and party in the streets like we normally do. So we might as well start a podcast. Well, it also uh, is timed with, I did a rewatch of all the Bond films. Um, I, I hadn't watched some of them since I was a kid. And I think there's a couple I probably hadn't ever watched. And I, mm. I went and bought myself like the Blu-ray set. And I thought, I'm going to do them all sequentially nice. and watch them all through. And I knew Cam was a fan. And mm. I basically just texted him my thoughts every time. So I got to the end of You Only Live Twice and was like, what the hell am I watching? And just texted him <laughs> all, this, all my thoughts on it. And it, it just became like, well, I want to connect with Cam and I want to do something and let's talk mm. spy movies. Well, actually, the original idea was was talking about Bond. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Yeah, it was going to be a Bond podcast initially, but when you've got shows out there like James Bonding, for example, or a lot of the other big, you know, fan-driven ones, mm. it was just like, huh, there's a <laughs> ton, a crushing amount of competition. Yeah. And you're also dealing with like 25 or 27 movies and then, you know, what, episodes of James Bond Jr. and <laughs> I don't know, we could cover the novels or, but like, it's very limited. And so suddenly the idea of spy movies was like, wait a second, then we could talk about Mission Impossible movies. We can do Jason Bourne. We can do Johnny English. And then we can like tackle all these obscure things that no one knows the names of. Yeah. And then, and thus, and thus Spy Hards was born. And and, I mean, that was it. There was, there was a couple of other names at some point. Uh, Mm -hmm. We we threw around some names for your ears only uh, was, was one but i just put that in the in the intro line instead basically and just save that for, yes. for that um I, I yeah but it was just an idea of just sort of talking about films and and also just trying to find a way because it's about having a mission as well like we're not yeah. just going to talk about films we want to try and create the list of the best spy movies ever made yeah so we're, we're we're going through and looking at every single spy movie ever made that we can get our hands on physically or sometimes digitally and yes i'm reviewing it and putting it in front of people yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like that became, frankly, it's a dirty secret of the Spy Hearts podcast internally is that the episodes we have the most fun with are the ones around movies that no one's ever heard of. <laughs> because there's <laughs> there's pressure when you're doing, I don't know, No Time to Die. Like yeah. people are like, I want to hear the definitive conversation on No Time to Die. So then we are sweating behind the scenes and who's the perfect guest for this. And, oh, we've got to have our research nailed down 100 percent and all that sort of thing. Whereas yeah. when, you know, Scott and I are tackling, like, I don't know, Spy Ship, which no one has ever heard of from 1942, it's like, let's just have fun. Yeah. 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 I mean, fans fans are nuts in the nicest way possible. If you, if you get something wrong, they are very quick to let you know that you've got everything wrong and therefore everything you've done for the last hour is useless because of one factoid being mildly incorrect. <laughs> um, I, I, go on. Well, I was just gonna say, I, I I should have put a disclaimer at the start of each episode that we're idiots. To be fair, we when when <laughs> this is the thing, we're we're not like you know celebrities doing a podcast or anything like that. We're not collegiates. We're not the scholars of film. Yeah. We're just two guys who really like this genre that are exploring it with the audience. So yeah, yeah. we might get the odd bit of information wrong, and I'm happy to be told that I'm wrong. It's just uh, it's just fun getting it wrong sometimes. Yes. So, are you, Scott, are you going to somehow convince Cam to do one of the... I mean, there's there's spy episodes within Star Trek. Oh, we've you know, got you couldn't plans. You couldn't talk about Star Trek Picard, so maybe... Well, I mean, there's... there's Slip a couple in of some sp- Garrick episodes. Garrick episodes? Yeah, do the Gary 7 episode assignment Earth, is it, I think, from yeah. TOS? Yeah, That's or right, Our yeah. Man Bashir from Deep Space Nine. That's basically just a 60s Bond romp. Yes, Enterprise um, incident from the original series yeah yes but there's also a star trek movie that has some spy connotations to it which is star trek six it's basically a cold war study um just changed to spaceships instead of you know aircraft or or naval vessels yeah and i mean we should note as well the first interview we ever did was with nicholas meyer you know the writer director of star trek two and six so yeah i mean the star trek kind of elements weave their way through the podcast i don't know that we're ever going to tackle episodes of star trek i think that might drive drive away the spy audience but that doesn't mean we can't reference them from time to time our man bashir though come on you could you could pull that one off you could pull that one off 
we did another podcast reviewing that episode. And uh, I do feel like whenever we talk to people who work in the world of like Star Trek podcasting, they're always like, we need to get you guys on for our men Bashir. Yeah. <laughs> I have no complaints. If we were to do it at some point, that would be absolutely fine. I'm sure we'd have a lot to say about it. And I'd, I'd love the opportunity to talk to Andrew Robinson or uh, yeah. any of the people involved, any of the writers and just doing interviews around it. But I think like we've got so many big films we've not even tackled yet, like hundreds of films we haven't even looked at yet. I think we'll think about TV down the line. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a question I had for you is, is you know, how how do you go about when you kicked off with Spy Hards and, and what, how do you go about picking the films and and what order? Like, do you do you have years mapped out or you just do it on a, you know, how structured are you? I mean, well, it takes geniuses to really put together the schedule that has Spy Kids 5 and Cats and Dogs 2 <laughs> in the same <laughs> month or so. Um, but uh, no, this is really we... this month. This is really yeah, this is really a month is. that we've done. We did that. Yes. That's, uh... At the time of recording, this is November. Yeah. This is what Lessons they're referring learned. to. <laughs> Lessons learned from this. But um, no, it's a case where Scott and I will just sit down on Zoom and we have a master list of hundreds of titles and yeah. you know we will constantly add to that list and we'll just basically break it down and i think generally what we try to do is have two in like kind of like a four movie block two mm -hmm. major movies that people know the names of instantly yeah. one that is a total obscurity and then one is that is kind of like you know somewhere in the middle something yeah. that maybe people have heard of or maybe it's like a streaming movie that didn't get a massive amount of buzz like it's not something like say the gray man it's something like I don't know, like one of these kind of like lesser acknowledged streaming films. So yeah. we'll kind of work those in there. Cool, cool. Um, so when you're when you're watching these films, I, mean, I know you recently uh, your, your most recent episode was the um, the Chris Evans, the ghosted ghosted, mm. Mm. Um, yeah. which I'm not going to watch, guys. I that 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 <laughs> movie. I just your podcast was enough. That was enough. I, I don't need to go there. Um, but yeah, so what what is it for you that like, you know, that that makes a the that 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 you need the the spy movie to have to win you over because there can be some fun cheesy ones like you know if we if we use Bond as an example like I know a lot of people love Roger Moore I hate his era I they they those those movies <laughs> oh. just they just they irk the bejesus out of me so I, I can't watch them but I know a lot of people love them but you know they're they're silly and they're campy and they work for a lot of people um so what is that what is the thing that like a spy movie needs no matter if it's like a campy thing like that or like something serious well firstly I want to say thank you for listening to the ghost episode I'm glad that it was so bad that it put you <laughs> off from watching the film lovely <laughs> what what an endorsement could you put that on our apple podcast review so just a little a little two star review there for us i appreciate it um i think no 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 not, it was the, it was it was not your review you know I what know, i mean i know i'm jesting i'm jesting well i this is where I think the, a bit of a delineation between Cam and I comes in because mm. Cam has been studying films for a very long time. Um, he's been doing podcasts for 15 years, something like that, through various iterations, talking about films. And he's been he's got a letterbox he's had for a very long time. He's been he's been writing notes on films he's watched since like the 90s, I think is about right. Yeah. Cam, Cam cares about filmmaking and that's... Mm. And he comes at it a lot of the time from that angle. I'm very much more of a an intrinsic, how do I feel about the film? Do I feel like it's moved me? Do I feel like I've been drawn into the film? Yeah. And that's really where my passion will come from. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, like the filmmaking is a big part of it. If I'm watching something that's just like 
poorly made, that'll just put me off immediately. But it yeah. is often very difficult because when you say talk about Daniel Craig's Casino Royale, mm. is that going to make the list? Of course it is. Like, that's not yeah. even a question. But then there's other things we looked at. For example, when we're doing the 60s and you come across things like, um, you know, Our Man Flint with mm. the uh, James Coburn spy kind of 60s stuff that's inspired by Bond. On the face of it, these movies are not made at the degree that you would hope, mm. but historically they're important. They speak mm. to a larger trend. So I'm always trying to balance kind of how much the filmmaking is going to influence my decision versus like, does this film matter? Um, yeah. When we talked about Spy Kids, you know, it was a bit of a debate for that first Spy Kids. Scott was way on board for Spy Kids, the first one, right. being acknowledged, you know, making our knock list, as we call it, of the yeah. great spy films. That one really took some work for me, but I had to really like frame it in my mind as like when I look at the kind of the arena of kid oriented or family oriented spy films, where does this one stand? And ultimately, it's doing it better than most. And so sometimes it's that kind of internal debate. It's not 100% one way or the other, but it's kind of like a mix of things for me. It's a blender. Yeah, yeah. I like that. And I, I, I appreciate that approach because, I mean, yeah, as, as you said, the Spy Kids is actually probably a really good example of a film that on face value would, would, would you know, it's not one I would, I would go to or acknowledge. But as you, as you mentioned, like in terms of family friendly spy, you know, spy movies that are, you know, kid, kid friendly and stuff like that. It does have a place and it does have a um, it does have a stamp on pop culture. So it, I think that that can't go ignored. I suppose what's what's also interesting to me is like if, if we kind of look at the last maybe five, five to ten years, um, you know, is there is there anything now other than Mission Impossible and James Bond um, that is that is making a, a stamp on pop culture in the way that some of these other films were doing 15, 20, 30 years ago? Well, I would say it's spy adjacent, not necessarily 100% spy, but I would say the John Wick series is kind of wandering to that territory. And it's one of these debates that also Scott and I have on the show a lot because we do tackle Hitman movies. We did the mechanic, you know, franchise, the Charles Bronson one and then the Jason Statham. When they start to tie themselves to these globe trotting like Hitman stories, they often are really blurring the line. And I mean, James Bond is often just an assassin for hire. So it's kind of like, yeah, sometimes it's tough to differentiate and John Wick kind of falls into that when you're dealing with secret societies and, you know, traversing the globe to take out, you know, targets. So I would say like John Wick ties into that and has influenced and will influence a lot of what we see in spy action going forward. Um, Mm. But I don't know that like, Scott, would you, does anything jump to mind for you in terms of like serious spy filmmaking? Because like we do, you know, cover Le Carre and we've done, you know, Three Days of the Condor and all that sort of stuff. Has mm-hmm. anything of recent years popped out as like these are necessities? Well, I was actually just looking at the knock list whilst you were talking and just seeing what sort of stood out in the last couple of decades that uh, apart from the Bonds and the Mission Impossibles and things like that. And it's actually quite surprising. There are a few in the last two decades. I mean, you've got Argo is one uh bridge of spies another uh zero dark 30 are all films that have made the knock list and you know there's arguments to be made for all of them and we've put them on knock because we think they're great but they're all driven by you know excellent filmmakers um so maybe that's where the other side of it is is more like a prestige side of filmmaking that get interested in these sort of spy stories yeah yeah and even something like tenet which did not mm. quite make the list. We had a great conversation about it, yeah. but that is 
sort of a you know very current day filmmaker christopher nolan is always pushing the boundaries re, re kind of reimagining what a spy movie can be and that's one of the things like we found with this genre that we tackle every week is that it constantly changes mm-hmm. and will continue to change like that was my concern when we started the show was I like watching a variety of films. I don't like to just be that person, for example, that sits and watch superhero movies over and over again, as much as I love them. Yeah. Uh, I need kind of that diversity of viewing experiences. And yes. that was one thing the spy movie genre really gave was once we started, I never felt like I was watching the same movie over again, you know, week after week. Yeah, you'd even, notice like even, tropes and stuff like that that would appear yeah. in, in multiple films, but like the way they presented them would would shift, especially when you're going from, say, the 1940s to... 2012 it's very different way of telling stories Mm. yeah yeah definitely um yeah it's it's kind of the fun thing about the spy the spy genre and i'm a i'm a big crime fiction guy and i particularly like the hard-boiled genre is my is is my jam um and i think it kind of does a little bit of the same thing that the spy genre has is you can you can read or watch a, a number of number of those things and you know, as you tropes will come in, but there's so much variety within those within these subgenres that you you can't really you can't really get bored with it. Um, which you know, I I love that, um, and I think it's why these these movies and these books continue to to be such hits for everyone because they're so the dexterity of of these of these genres is is uh, is quite incredible. Um, so. I got I got a baby screaming downstairs. So if, if you hear if you hear a baby wailing, that's 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 why. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious, how, how are you feeling about some of the the recent uh, kind of spy and thriller movies? Um, I know obviously you just did you just did Ghosted, um, Cam. <laughs> I think you mentioned the Gray Man. The, the basically what I'm getting at is is the um, the streaming spy movies. You know they are they are they just sort of products or are they producing spy art or or what what are your thoughts on on that particular stuff at the moment it's a complex question and i think it will have a complex answer but i think Mm -hmm. that we are probably on the way out of seeing those things you know you look at the reception to something like ghosted for instance, mm-hmm. which has minimal reviews on yeah. review sites. It basically was dumped on Apple TV Plus with minimal fanfare. And, but you look at the cast, Anna Diarmas, Chris Evans, they're at the height of their power, and it was just thrown there. You look at Heart of Stone, uh, that yeah. was just sort of thrown onto Netflix with Gal Gadot. Um, yeah. uh, there's a few more Citadel with the guy oh, from yeah. Game of Thrones. Like, what happened to Citadel? No one watched that. Yeah. Yeah, and was it like the like, most expensive show or something like that as well? Wasn't it? It's meant to have some like massive universe built for it as well, with like multiple Citadel shows in multiple countries. I don't think we're going to get much more from that. I think mm. a lot of it is not driven by a creative idea; it's just driven by a need for content, and that right. will usually give you negative results. Or the Gray Man, and the Gray Man had a lot more buzz surrounding it than Heart of Stone or Ghosted did, mm-hmm. but. After it came out, did you hear many people talking about it? I mean, there was even interviews with the filmmakers saying like they kind of regarded it as like corporate content. Like they didn't, you know, they saw it as like, well, this is a business decision and Netflix wants this material. So we made it for them. And you're like, okay, like that's not great. Because the whole hope with streaming was that it would open it up to filmmakers 
kind of having something of blank checks to do whatever they wanted. And you sometimes yeah. get that, yeah. you know, look at Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon through Apple. Mm. You know, that's a $200 million movie that Apple was like, you go nuts. And we got yeah. a few movies like that. You know, Ro- I think of Roma. Um, there's been a number, The Irishman. Mm. But we also get a lot of stuff like this. And yeah. it's very clear that, like, it may get eyeballs. I mean, I'm not someone who has inside knowledge on the, uh, you know, the data that Netflix and Apple and Amazon and all that are collecting. Mm. But it doesn't seem to have buzz. You don't seem to see people excited about it or writing about it or posting mm-hmm. stories about it. And so I don't know that that really benefits them in terms of like paying these huge, you know, these huge budgets for these movies. So that's kind of the problem. And I think, you know, you're always just, you know, one step away from someone making a great one that everyone yeah. gets excited about and suddenly reinvigorates that sort of appetite on the streaming networks. But the way they're cutting budgets on these things now with the streaming networks where they're cutting content out and they don't want to invest in major projects like this. I think as Scott said, those days are running out and I don't think they've made, uh, I don't think they've built a great argument as to why it should con- continue because no. we tackle these movies and a lot of them are very bland filler. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like, in general then is there a, when you when you when you're walk, watching maybe older films are you are you finding the, the the kind of not necessarily looking back with nostalgia nostalgic eyes but are you finding that there was a, they were a bit more daring back back in the day versus like the last like maybe maybe like 15 years i think for me the last like 15 years i've not really been blown away by 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 much outside of some a few bonds and mission impossible and, and a couple others here and there that, that you mentioned earlier I think it depends how far back you'd want to go. I mean, if, mm. if we're talking just sort of 15, 20 years, mm. I, you're going back to the beginning of the Bourne films at that point. Yeah. And that, that revolutionized, that was the last big wave to change spy movies. When Bourne Identity came around, yeah. we were, who were we talking to about the Bourne Identity recently? Oh, don't ask was, me that. It was Lee Tamahori, <laughs> the director oh. of Die Another Day, who was on our show last year in December. That's right. Uh, mm. Check that out. Great interview. And he was talking about going to watch the Bourne Identity whilst they were shooting Die Another Day. And yeah, him turning to Barbara Broccoli and saying, like, we're in trouble here. Yeah. Yeah. And they had Absolutely. to pivot because that film is night and day, which is another spy film, compared to <laughs> Bourne Identity. Yeah, it's true. I, uh, I as a uh, you know, as the, as the stars align this week's uh, is this week is the anniversary of uh, I think both Quantum of Solace and Casino Royale. I think they both had an anniversary this week, mm-hmm. um, and ended up watching both of them yesterday because I had nothing to do, which was great. Um, and I, I obviously Casino Royale. We all know that that's heavily influenced by 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 Born, mm-hmm. you know, massively. Um, Quantum of Solace. It's almost like I don't know. They 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 did that film. It imitated Bourne, but to like a sickening degree. I felt like watch rewatching it this time, um, particularly in the cinematography, like more so than Casino. That film is so shaky. It's I was I was like, do I, I had the sea legs by the time the thing finished because it was just moving so much. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a that's a. Have you guys done? I can't remember. Have you done uh, Quantum yet? It's yes, totally we, my we have. And we did yes. interview the cinematographer of the film as well and talked about that. It's not so much that it's shaky cam, it's editing with uh, that yeah, one. That's, yeah. yeah, like they've cut it to shreds in the you know editing room to make this action try to feel propulsive. Yeah, And, you know, Quantum is an amazing looking film, but I think the thing with Casino Royale was 
the Bond series has always been famous for jumping on trends. Like, yeah, almost from day one. The second movie out of the gate with Bond from Russia with Love is just ripping off Hitchcock's North by Northwest all over the place in the 39 steps. So like very common. (laughs) But I think the one thing Bond has always managed to do is have its own identity as a Bond film. But let those flavors kind of work in, work their way Mm -hmm. in. And like you look at the Bourne franchise and you can see those elements in Casino Royale. But when you get to Quantum, they override it. They're just like, make a Bourne clone. And that's something that doesn't work very well. You know, you can look at their next film, Skyfall. There's Dark Knight stuff all over that movie. But it doesn't feel like you're watching the Dark Knight 100%. No, it feels like you're watching Home Alone. (laughs) (laughs) Or Straw Dogs. You know, either one. (laughs) Were you, are you in the, are you in the pro- camp of of the of the home alone ending or the or or anti i i think cam and i split on this one if i remember our skyfall review correctly i think i'm well i know i'm pro i enjoy it i like the idea uh i find with repeat viewings it just doesn't excite me at all to watch it yeah i'm like some i'm like right in the middle of you of you because i i like it but i also agree that when i'm watching the movie once once he leaves London and they go out to Scotland, I'm sort of like, oh, I got to get through this bit now. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it has that weird sort of vibe. Whereas I don't I don't hate it. I think it looks great and the action's fun, all that kind of stuff. But there is a there is a bit of like, uh, maybe they could have they could have maybe cut that cut that down. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. Trimmed it. W- would you have enjoyed it more if Silver had been hit in the head with paint tins? <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it needed to be an iron just coming down and smacking mm. him in the face. Bond I, is I think... throwing bricks off the roof at yes. Silver. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Great. You know, maybe it. maybe if he slipped on some, you know, some oil and stepped mm. on a nail. Yeah. Barefoot. And perfect. That's and then got electrocuted and you saw his skeleton. Great. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know. Perfect. So, okay, I'm I'm interested in kind of like to kind of pivot and and, and chat a bit about kind of more about 007 and Mission Impossible, because it's been an interesting couple of years for those particular franchises. Um, <laughs> you know, and and I'm, boy I'm has curious... It. Boy has it. Say again. Yeah. I said, boy has it. it yes. So let's, let's because we're talking Bond, let's, let's, kind of, let's kind of start with a little bit of Bond stuff. In, in general, what's, what's your take on, on the Craig era? Um, saying that having just watched these last, these, his first two films, um, I, I think I've kind of re, you know, and and with his most recent one, I've sort of rethought, you know, what I what I view of of his sort of era. But I'm curious about your opinion first. Take us away, Cam. Okay, um, I think there's no Bond actor with a flawless run. Let's get that True. said right up front. You know, Connery, who's considered the iconic favorite by many had Diamonds Are Forever, and in my opinion, You Only Live Twice is not particularly up to the rest of them. And then also Never Say Never Again. (laughs) Never Say Never Again also was uh, not the best way to go out either. So, like, it's not a perfect run. And I think the thing with Craig is his highs are so high that that is ultimately what matters because, you know, both Skyfall and Casino Royale are going to continue on as two of the greatest Bond films that have ever been made. Yeah. Now... There was also the issue that like Craig and his era fell within the period where, you know, shared universes became a big thing at the multiplex. And so you get like kind of the the messiness of something like Spectre trying to tie mm-hmm. it all together. Um, 
I think the the series goes out on a high. I I actually really like No Time to Die, but you know it's it's a bumpy it's a bumpy five movie run, but it's ultimately yeah. successful in keeping the character alive and well with audiences. People loved Daniel Craig, yeah, and it elevated I think the filmmaking craft of the movies in many ways. Mm-hmm. Like the Craig movies look astonishing almost to a t almost right across the line with the exception yeah. of maybe the yellow cinematography of specter i i don't yeah. think i have much to add to that in the sense i think for me it's really a case of the craig era gave us some of the best films that mm. have come out of the james bond factory like as a film itself i think casino royale transcends a, oh it's a bond film to yeah. just yeah. being a a great film that anyone could enjoy that. Yeah, uh, and I think Skyfall is is pretty close to that, mm. and I think as a piece of work, it's a really f- interesting five film series. And I agree with Cam. I think No Time to Die was a fine way of sending him off. I have no problem with him being blown up, which I'm sure we'll we'll chat about in a minute. But it doesn't mean it's something I would necessarily reach for. Mm. Yeah, I I think I would still probably stick on the Pierce Brosnan film or a Sean Connery film before I stick stuck on anything from the Daniel Craig films. That's yeah. Yeah, I feel that way as well. And that like I love the Daniel Craig era for what it is, but mm. one of my favorite things about Bond films is how rewatchable they are. Mm. And I mean, I have watched the Roger Moores, the Connerys, the Daltons a billion times. And it's very rare I sit down and I'm like, you know what? I gotta throw on Spectre or I want to throw on No Time <laughs> to Die. Like these movies are very long. Yes. Uh I would like to get back to maybe Bond being more fun. Because, yes. like, I think Casino Royale is, I think, the lighter one. Like, that's the one that's the most, I think, rewatchable in that sense. Yep. But it's still, it's a two and a half hour film. And it has a lot of, you know, like, kind of heavier drama to it. I, I would like to get back to kind of balancing out more of the fun elements in Bond. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I, I do miss, I do miss lighthearted Bond. And I know they, they, they sort of... I think they kind of attempted it a little bit with Craig in, in his last two films. Uh, he, he tries to be a little bit more jokey, but mm-hmm. I but the film but the general vibe of those films are so heavy that it's hard for that to for that to cut through. And I think I think part of that's also just like even down to down to the music in in ways like the themes. I I don't really like the theme for Spectre or or particularly No Time to Die. It's, it I don't do you do you guys ever listen to Weird Al? Um, I used to, N- okay. not his more recent work, but, uh, Alapalooza, <laughs> I was all over it. Okay. Do you remember way back in the nineties when he, when he parodied, uh, Nirvana, um, and he has that line where it's, it's hard to sing with all these marbles in my mouth. Yeah. That to me is, is no time to die. I just, I, uh, that her song, uh, Billie Eilish's song, I was just like, can you like pronounce words clearly, please? Like you just, you're mumbling <laughs> this whole time and it drove, it drove me nuts. And I think that also just like. It's it's funny to me because like I'm a big music guy as well, and, and music has a real influence on how I'm going to enjoy something. I think, mm. um, and I think that also helped uh, not help, but that kind of hindered a little bit of my enjoyment of, of just simply going into No Time to Die, being like, I can't, I don't even like this song. I'm not even excited about this big Bond song, and normally they, you know, they're all sort of quite fun, even if they're ludicrous Madonna songs. They're still mm. like kind of kind of kind of fun. Um, but yeah, so I but kind of back to no time to die then. So with 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 the death of Bond, you're both cool with it, um, which is interesting because I know obviously that that was the big controversy with that with that movie. Um, 
what does what does Bond's death signify for for you guys and and for the franchise? I'd say they're probably two different answers. I think Cam and I are very happy to make our peace with the fact that that is Daniel Craig's Bond yeah. dying. I don't think that implies that Pierce Brosnan, Timothy Dalton, George Lazenby, uh, you know, Sean Connery or Roger Moore's Bonds are also dead. Um, or, David still, yeah, no. or David Niven or Peter Sellers or uh, <laughs> anyone else who appeared in Casino Royale 67. Who Barry, are all uh, Barry Nelson. <laughs> yeah, Barry Nelson. He's still going out there some, somewhere, <laughs> apparently. Um no, so I, I, I don't think that Im- implies that it's like the end for anyone else. So I don't think it diminishes any of their films. Some people seem to have taken Bond's death as this sort of like giant FU to mm. a 27 film continuity where I don't see it as that. I just see it as like a, a, a closed loop of five films. And I'm glad mm. that he is the only Bond actor that got to see it through to the end. He actually got to have a proper exit, whereas the, the rest mm. of them never got that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, it's like to me if you look at uh, the Dark Knight Rises, where Batman blows up, you know, the bat, the bat copter or whatever he called it. I think he's called it the bat, uh, and takes off to Italy with Catwoman. Yeah, that that now influences how I watch, you know, Michael Keaton's Batman. It's like right. no, like these Craig's made a very clear point of we are doing this kind of closed circle mythology we are yeah. starting things over we have specter being introduced and blofeld is his brother like that is not something that ties into in any way what you're watching in honor majesty's secret service so yeah, no. I, I don't have a problem with it if they want to tell this kind of very closed five film story sure go nuts yeah. and you know they said and i've said this before on the podcast in the first movie um, bond says i believe you know uh, 007s or 00s have a very short life expectancy yeah and so it's kind of like tying the the bow finally on the journey of that character. And let's be honest, this Bond who we spent those five films with is not a man who's going to live a long life. No, 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 no. He's drinking with a scorpion. He's taking risks, that man. He runs through too many walls. He's, he's getting CTE from all this uh, this wall running he's doing. Uh, well, I, but then I will like pivot to the other part of your question is like the mm. sort of the fan reaction, as it were, or mm. the general reaction to it. I've and we've been challenged online on social media by other people for not having a more of a severe stance against mm. Bond's death. You know, why did we not? Why are we yeah. not more angry about it? Why are we supportive of the choice? Uh, and I think for for us both, we just explain why we're, we're supportive of the choice. But one thing I do understand is the different perspective because mm. um, someone said to me a few months ago, "Just pretend they'd killed Picard." Now to say spy films didn't start they did. like <laughs> they did. Well, they did, I'm going to get to. I'm going to get to. <laughs> <laughs> did they do Picard season one and two count? I'm not sure they do. Uh, We're getting Robo Bond in the next uh, oh, <laughs> the next movie. Well, that's the nanobots, right? It's the, the mm. smart blood. That's it. It all connects. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, well, and, and that's the thing. Like I was, I was quite miffed when they killed Picard in season one of Picard. But yes. like at the same time, I just have erased it from my head and it doesn't affect TNG or the movies for me. It's just what that show made a choice to do. And that's absolutely fine. But I can understand, like if that's someone you've been following James Bond since your childhood and he is your idol and you dress like yeah. him and you've got like a little your trinkets around your house and things like that for Bond. And yeah. then they just killed him. Yeah, I can understand why you might take that slightly personally. I just but this is where we try to step in and be like, OK, but here is an objective view as to yeah. why it's not personal. Yeah. 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 I think I think it like in in one level like I I agree like it it could have worked. I think f- 
for me, my my biggest problem with with uh, No Time to Die was just was the film itself, the story. I I didn't care about anyone um, at all. Um, I, you know, I kind of felt the him visiting Vesper's grave just felt forced. Um, but I think I would say there was I think that it was also a bit forced in Spectre trying to connect every all the villains had to be Spectre villains suddenly. And it's like, eh, they didn't they didn't need to be. Um, and I also when I, I remember watching Spectre and when he is introduced to uh, uh, oh, what's what's the blonde lady's name? Uh, White. Madeline? No, Madeline. Madeline. That's Madeline's one. That's it. Um I, I was really excited at first. I was like, oh my God, she's going to be like a protege. And then they instantly turned it into a love interest. And then, but I never bought the love interest. I never bought the chemistry between them. So when this whole, you know, time to die is, is kind of pivoting on their whole, you know, amazing romance and love story. I'm like, I, I'm not buying this guys. Um, You know, so I felt like, you know, for Bond to sacrifice himself for people that I don't, care about characters i don't care about made it a really complicated film for me i just it's it's one that i i probably won't watch again it's probably yeah. in the camp with the roger moores i'm like ah those will be the ones that i that i that i don't revisit i don't you're, know you're hurting you're hurting cam with this oh, roger sorry moore. i'm sorry I, i'm actually painful. i'm more with you i would say there luke i I'm, I'm not a big roger moore guy i was a pierce brosnan baby yeah yeah i i love i yeah, pierce brosnan's great i love connery i love dalton uh, you know, those are my those are my go tos. I mm. when I when I go back. Um, you, you mentioned you mentioned something earlier about the sort of um, continuity of of James Bond. Where do you guys sit with with this franchise? Some people are like, oh, it's all one big universe, and each each you know the James Bond is a code name. Like I hate that crap. Um, is is for me every Bond is its own is its own universe with Lazenby being the exception. Because it, you know, it's kind of kind of tied in. Yeah, I mean, I always just look at it as it's very messy, and I'm happy to live in a world where it's just episodic storytelling, and yeah. if things don't line up 100. Who cares? And yeah. the way that uh, you know franchises are exploited nowadays, you're getting like bad entries and all this kind of stuff. And frankly, as fans, you might as well just start picking and choosing the way Scott was doing with Picard. Because yes. a lot of it is bad. You know, I was a, I'm wearing a shirt right now, Star Wars, but like <laughs> I was a huge Star Wars kid. And like you're expecting me to watch like Rise of Skywalker and take that seriously anymore? <laughs> it's like, no, I just go, okay, well, I guess I won't watch that movie again. I'll have my, you know, I'll kind of have pick and choose the movies that I care about. And that's kind of the way these things go. And yeah. Bond's been going since 1962. I think it is entirely sane for Bond fans to kind of pick the ones they like. And you know what? If they don't like where No Time to Die went, whatever. You're getting another yeah. one in, you know, probably two or three years at this point. Yeah. I, I do I do love a, a theory I read years ago. It's not mm. necessarily what I subscribe to. I'm, I'm more close to just Cam's chaos theory, which I think is more just like, <laughs> it, it is what it is. There's just films, yeah. watch them, enjoy. That's pretty yeah. much the easy way of doing it. And that's the money penny theory. So right. every change of money penny is a new continuity of Bond. Now, there are some errors there. For instance, Die Another Day would throw that out because there's all references to Rosa Klebb and stuff like that because it's the 20th film, yada, yada, yada. But like, if you do it by the money pennies, so Roger Moore and Lazenby and Sean Connery are all one Bond. Mm -hmm. And you've got the Timothy Dalton era has two with Carolyn Bliss. And then mm -hmm. you've got four with Samantha Bond with Pierce Brosnan. And then you've got five, a couple without, but then you've got Eve Moneypenny from Skyfall onwards. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of works. 
it's kind of fun, but then it's also like I don't know when you have Trevelyan and Goldeneye talking about like the women that Bond has lost, you know, who have been mm-hmm. killed. It's like we immediately are thinking of you know like Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and so it's like there's always that kind of franchise weight of it all. But I, yeah, I was I think happier in a world where we didn't care <laughs> and like the you know the producers <laughs> and storytellers didn't really care they yeah. treated it more as like almost you know like comic books which would be rebooted all the time back in the day mm-hmm. yeah. uh you know that sort of thing i think that's probably the future if that's something you're going to drift us onto is it, in terms of what yeah. bond is well I'll, I'll let you do it because it's probably where we're going so go for it yeah no well i mean yeah that that's kind of that's where we're, we're going next is is what's what's the future then with bond where do you where do you want to see this this franchise go post no time to die and uh well i just got off the phone with barbara broccoli about an hour <laughs> ago as you do she says she says she's uh, more interested in selling some scotch whiskey and uh, overpriced uh, shirts for the next couple of years before they announce a Bond film. Now, that's to be fair, being... Scott, we should note, too, you are calling to try to get on Road to a Million Season 2. That's why you were calling her. Of course, of course. Uh, I, show. I, I, I haven't watched it, I have to say. I, I'm not sure I will. I know Cam's a big fan. <laughs> big fan? <laughs> I've watched the first four episodes because I'm going to review it on our Patreon show. He is. I'll specify. I'm. I'm not tainting myself with it. <laughs> uh, the future. Yeah. I would. What I'd like to put. I suppose I can't say what is necessarily going to happen. I have a feeling what's going to happen is it mm. will be somewhere in between Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig, and it will be set in the modern era. That's what I think will probably yeah. happen. What I'd like to happen and I'll throw to Cam to put his two cents in afterwards, is I think it should go back and be a period piece. I think you should set it in the 1960s, have it mm-hmm. make sense, because the last like 10 Bond films have to keep jumping through this hoop of why is Bond relevant in the 21st century or the, you know, the no. 1990s? Yes, true. And because spying has moved on. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. We don't need the guy who goes to you know, uh, Marrakesh and shags around a bit. That's not. We don't have that guy in the field anymore. It doesn't exist. Mm. So you remove that question, you send him back to when he was relevant, and he can be driving a DB5, and it would make sense, and he can do all that stuff. That's and that's what I would do. And also, I would probably remove the continuity, but that's me. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about the period piece that gives me pause is that like every fan wants it, and mm. so when like it becomes the popular, that's what they should be doing. That means it's not going to happen, yeah. because I'd like to think if you're hiring good screenwriters they have a bigger imagination than the average fan on the internet. And so like, you're welcome. And so like, um, they are going to have something that we're going to go. We have, we have something more interesting that not every person thinks about because that is the most popular theory is like the period piece thing now to talk about with bond. I mean, not saying they won't do it, but it feels like it's almost like too obvious. Yeah. I, I think for me, like what I'd like to see is just move away from the seriousness of Craig I think mm. that's big. Bring in more of the humor. Make them more fun. They don't have to be like silly. We don't have to go back to like Roger Moore era kind of camp. But I think we're kind of moving past this kind of super, super serious era that spawned mm. the Craig era. You know, that was the Nolan Batman trilogy. And there were so many things around that time that were trying to be very serious. Yeah. And I think we're going to move a little bit past that. It's more about, I think, what they're going to have to examine internally and this is true for pretty much every Bond era, is what does this next generation of fans want? And, you know, the Brosnan era clicked with, you know, 
my generation as well as Scott's because, you know, you had Brosnan was very appealing, but you also had things like the GoldenEye video game, things mm. like that, that really pulled them in. And it's kind of like that with every era. Daniel Craig was hugely popular because he fell at the right time and was what people wanted coming yeah. off of things like Jason Bourne. So they've got to figure out what do people want from Bond right now? And I don't know. Because when I look at the box office, especially this year, and I see, you know, the biggest hits are like Barbie, Mario Brothers, you know, the Five Nights at Freddy's was a massive opener. It's very clear there's a young generation out there that is making their voices heard in the marketplace. I have no idea what they want. I'm too old to uh, determine that. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I mean, in terms of like trying to find out what they want, I mean, the the trend that I feel like I've noticed this year is, is that everything that's been a, a what i would what i would consider a proper hit has been something that's been closer to original than than mm-hmm. sequel or or the next thing in the next comic book phase of whatever universe you know they're, they're in about Ex- except for um the, the spider-man movie i guess you know the the, the um into the cross the spider verse like that that's kind of but that's that's i kind of like it's kind of adjacent to the mcu it doesn't really count it has its own sort of it feels you know, very bold like it's not yeah. kind of playing within the established parameters of a Spider-Man movie the way mm. that, you know, for example, the Amazing Spider-Man movies did or the Spider-Man Homecoming, yeah. you know, trilogy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I like one of the films that I loved this year uh, was was the the new Ninja Turtle movie. Like I didn't realize that I was going to like fall in love with that movie. That was, you know, it was one of the, for me, it's one of the most fun, best movies, you know, kids movies of the, of, of the year. I'm like, this is what people are responding to because this had, is one of those few things that was a, a re, well, reboot, remake, whatever you want to call mutant mayhem, um, of a, of a property that's already been, you know, had multiple films within, within the recent past, but somehow managed to spark originality and, and have a good heart and soul to it. Um, and I, I just also think people are bored with comic book movies um, in general. But also this leads me to my next point and is is Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible falls into that camp of, you know, oh, oh, it just felt tired. And I was, I was excited. I wanted to love Dead Reckoning. I loved Fallout. I'm a big Mission Impossible. I love those movies. Um, and I went in watching this and I just was this whole time, the whole time I was watching, I was like, what, what happened? What? What happened between Fallout and 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 this? What what is going on? Um, so I'm curious on your on your guys's take on what what sort of happened with Fallout and and like them re- now renaming Part Two and and all that kind of stuff, which feels like a desperate desperate attempt to kind of make people forget that Dead Reckoning is part of a, a two part you know double hitter. Uh, what are your thoughts on Mission Impossible? Well, I think for me, at least anyway, we've only done a brief episode on, on Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. We've not yeah. really explored it too much, but I yeah, we'll talk about it. I, I think we need to peel back a little bit and just look at what happened this year. Because you mentioned, Cam says things like Barbie and Five Nights at Freddy's Super Mario. Yeah, And then you've got this, what people are calling franchise fatigue, which is a phrase I've heard many times uh, going yeah. back to 2004, 2005 when it comes to Star Trek, funnily enough. But, um, yeah. you know, you've got Indiana Jones. You've got uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. The other thing, apart from people being franchise fatigued, is those films weren't good. Yes. They weren't fun. They were yeah. missing a lot of elements. They were mid-level films. Yeah. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 has some great stunts. Don't get me wrong. Tom Cruise is putting his body on the line again. I'd love yeah. him doing it. 
Yeah. But it's missing a lot of the fun that Fallout had. Indiana Jones is just I I mean, there's fun elements in that film. Again, there's fun stuff, but it like it you've got this sad old Indiana Jones with Phoebe Waller Bridge running around him in circles like a, a excitable puppy. <laughs> and bad CG, what... just wall to wall bad effects. And yeah. It looks, yeah. it looks chintzy. Yeah. Yeah. It's just I think there's also an element that people are forgetting in this discussion that the 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 cream rises to the top. Mm-hmm. You know, Barbie is a great film and it looks great and it's fun. Oppenheimer, yeah. which we hadn't mentioned, is a great film and True. it's yeah. it's 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 long, but it's great. It's well done. Yeah. Super Mario Bros. was a good film. I enjoyed it. Five Nights at Freddy's. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I don't really play the game. I haven't got any stakes in this game. But going back, We're too to old, Mission Scott. Impossible, We're too old. Yeah, I've only got two nights at Freddy's. I'm. Uh, <laughs> I can't even make it through one night. <laughs> oh. uh, but Mission Impossible, like I, I feel like they have locked down on the wrong things from Fallout. They've learned the wrong yeah. lessons. I listened to an interview with um, what's the, uh, Christopher McQuarrie mm. years ago now when Fallout came out. And he mm. said the way they design these films, and I'm assuming this is the same process now, is they come up with the stunts, they come up with the moments, and then they connect them together with plot. Right. That for me just feels like the wrong way of making a story. You haven't got a story. You're just making something up that connects dots together. It yeah. worked for it, Fallout though. Yeah, I, I guess that's. I guess you Fallout can throw that. Maybe is lucky though. Mm, but you I could mean, argue that with uh, probably Rogue Nation as well. Yeah, yeah. I I just don't know what like I. Eh. The stunts are great. I just felt like it was a bit flat everywhere else there was these massive exposition dumps in mission impossible for that part one i'm not going to keep oh, saying yeah. the full title of that film because it's going to oh dead head. reckoning part one. Oh yeah that's it oh dead yeah, reckoning fallout, part yeah. One. <laughs> yeah yeah sorry fallout part one no thanks um <laughs> dead reckoning part one or dead reckoning now i guess there's yeah. no part yes. one anymore yeah it's changed uh i i just felt like it apart from the sun since just wasn't anything there no i i actually really enjoyed dead reckoning a lot um i think in terms of action direction it's among the best of the year and so, like, when I'm looking at set pieces, I just found yeah. it thrilling. Uh, but I like I agree in terms of, like, there's those exposition dumps that are, like, Mission Impossible movies have always been kind of heavy with those. Maybe less so when you get to kind of the, especially, like, the De Palma one is so well directed. But, yeah. like, the fact you have that scene off the top of Dead Reckoning Part 1 where it's, like, the group of guys exchanging dialogue and it's they're finishing each other's sentences, it's, like, this feels like a parody of exposition scenes and maybe it was, I don't know, but I think the two biggest problems this movie had, I don't even think it's that it didn't entertain because I think, you know, you look at reviews for it, you look at audience scores, they're pretty good, pretty darn Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. I think it had a couple problems. I think it was too long. I think the idea that you would make a close to three hour mission impossible movie, people will take that from Batman because that character has just, massive weight within the world of pop culture yeah mission impossible doesn't they've never been massive grossing movies they just they've been successful they've been big hits but they have not been these just juggernaut franchise movies and so i think they were very presumptuous that people would be so invested they would show up for a three-hour mission impossible that is labeled part one and i don't think they have that loyal audience in the numbers they thought they had and they were expecting crossover from top gun that's completely different like you know the idea of a top gun sequel has it's never happened and so it had a novelty to it they had a young cast they had you know just something they were promoting that felt different to people and they had word of mouth of people saying you need to see this in theaters 
because yes. it is unbelievable. Yep. As much as I enjoyed Dead Reckoning, I don't know that I would be running around to everyone being like, you need to see this in the best theater possible because it didn't feel drastically different than the last few Mission Impossibles, really. No. And so, like, what is the appeal there? Uh, I think they just ran into a lot of problems. And then, of course, in terms of, you know, if you're just going to look at numbers, having Oppenheimer and Barbie open like a week later just killed them. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Um, I, I, yeah. It's kind of for further your point. I, in terms of kind of the, 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 the narrative and, and feeling like the previous mission of Pulse movies, that was one of the big things that was driving me nuts is I was like, we've already seen Ethan hunt in a sandstorm. We've already seen Ethan hunt on top of trains. We've already seen him climb. We've, we, you know, we've, we've seen all of the action pieces we've, already seen and i was like what what is this movie that what is dead reckoning bringing to the mission impossible table that is fresh and i couldn't i can't really think of anything um and, and i do agree in, in terms of the length it is way too long i watch it in cinema and i you know i'm a completist on certain things so i, I did get the, the 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 4k when it came out and watched it um with my wife because she hadn't she didn't go to the cinema to see it with me so i she happy to watch it at home um she was bored stiff and she loves these like you know she's not like a massive film nerd or whatever but she likes the mission Impossible movies she was really bored the whole time um and just kept and kept saying things like why is this action sequence still going on like, mm. and how many times does Haley Atwell's grace have to be captured and get away? Like they did it like three to four times in, in the span of like 20 minutes. And it just felt like, is, was there no editing? Was there no one looking at what was going on? Um, do you think then that the, the, the fallout of dead reckoning? Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we're done everyone that's a wrap yeah. <laughs> yes um do, do you feel there's going to be you know uh it's going to hurt part two that's now not part two yes uh yeah. the fact that they're going to rebrand it as more of a standalone mm -hmm. i th my suspicion is at this point they're just going to try to get by like i don't mm -hmm. think at this point internally that they are expecting the next mission impossible to be you know <laughs> skyfall levels of popular i think it's more like can we get this thing to maybe a little bit more money than dead reckoning part one but i think i think the curtain is closing on the tom cruise era of mission impossible i think we yeah. need to acknowledge as well that you know we're talking about like younger generations of moviegoers showing up at the cineplex and scott cited indiana jones i don't know when you were 20 did you want to go to movies about like 60 and 80 year olds being action heroes i don't think i did no i mean we did watch star trek first contact sure yeah yeah that's true <laughs> if we um, got to see patrick stewart as an action hero i'm not sure i did probably not no right? no I, I, that was a joke obviously but but actually it's, it's, it's an interesting point because if you think if we view star trek as a comparison mm. the 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 tos films they're, they're a bunch of old farts in those movies but they're great i'm gonna watch undiscovered country any any day like that's and they're, they're clearly you know past their past past their prime and and puffy and stuff but the, the film's great so i think it can be done those and movies also didn't have to make as much money as a mission impossible has to make to that's true justify itself and they were like all yeah. oh, less than two hours i think yeah <laughs> yes this, yes yes they were they were they knew what they were doing do you think that the, this part two not part two will they just eradicate gabriel just because i mean what a what a what a void of a villain he was I, I don't think they'll uh, 
I don't think they'll change what they've planned to do story-wise. I think it'll end up being mm. the same film they were going to do either way, even with just changing the name. I think that's more of a branding thing because mm. I think you also look at the other issue this year has had about part ones with Fast X part one and Spider-Verse part one or whatever where it they, is. Where they dropped the part one because yeah. Fast X was just Fast X and then it was going yeah. to be Across the Spider-Verse part one and then they changed it, was, yeah. it so the next one is going to be called Beyond the Spider-Verse. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's more of a marketing and branding thing to try and get people to th- think like, oh, I haven't got to watch Dead Reckoning to watch this. I can just go in fresh, even though you probably will need to watch Dead Reckoning. But I imagine yeah. the opening crawl will be like a catch up, like yeah. a Star Wars text wall of text. You know. Yeah. Palpatine <laughs> has returned. The the AI has re- the entity has returned. The entity yeah. has returned. Yeah. Instead yeah. of the nice like sizzle, you're just gonna get mm-hmm. like the Star Wars crawl, but with Mission Impossible theme going on. Yeah. yeah you know the, the thing is like we pay attention to this we are following what's going on with the next mission impossible the average person is not i know mm. and especially <laughs> in like you know a year and a half or whenever it comes out because it's been pushed i can't remember the exact release date but like yeah. by the time that movie comes out i think they are just more trying to trick people into showing up yeah. that's it i was thinking that i think it's pushed to 2025 i think yeah i might be wrong but that seems right but yeah i, I was thinking the same thing I was like people aren't even going to remember dead reckoning by the time that comes out which also no one sense. saw it. Also, well, no one saw it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it'll be popular on streaming and everything by the time the new yeah. one comes out. But if you ask the average person on the street, what was the plot of, I don't know, Rogue Nation? You are going to get the blankest of stares. <laughs> I think like the investment in Mission Impossible storytelling is far lower than yeah. the studio and I guess Tom Cruise and the various, you know, Macquarie and all the people involved thought it was like i think they genuinely thought people are like gripped by the narrative of these movies and that's just not the case i was i'm sitting here sweating now trying to think if i know the plot to to ghost protocol or rogue nation i'm not sure i could tell you right i couldn't i couldn't tell you ghost protocol but rogue nation is when the the whole imf gets disavowed after the kremlin gets blown up and ethan has to save the day from that guy with the brief wait my computer might be confusing the two now you are doing ghost protocol (laughs) Oh, I, no. I know Ghost Protocol pretty well. <laughs> shit, shit. <laughs> uh, well, but Rogue Nation is definitely is that the one where the Kremlin Kremlin blows up, right? That, that's, that's at least right. That's Ghost Nation. Is it shit? Yeah, uh, Rogue Nation is the one with Solomon Lane where he first shows up as with like the disciples or something, isn't it? Like his oh, no, anti IMF. I think they started in Fallout. The Syndicate. <laughs> They're the syndi- the Syndicate comes in with no. Rogue Nation, right? I don't remember. Did the syndicate start in Fallout? I can't. No, remember. no, no. They were, they were, they were, they were continued into Fallout because the guy there's because wherever the whatever the film is where he is in the record shop and it's like the syndicate da, 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 is yeah. that's okay. That's that's the start of Rogue Nation. But the okay. point is, like, I have seen Fallout. <laughs> I think like four or five times. I have seen Rogue Nation. I think three or four times. Yeah. The fact that like the plots are muddy in my mind tells me that like that's not the appeal of these movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree. So, we'll wrap up with this with this one final question about Mission Impossible. Then, where do you? Because you know, it it feels like as you were saying, the curtains are are closing with Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible era. And I I am all for that. Even though after watching, uh, apparently he after he watched uh, uh, Indiana Jones. 20 he was like i'm gonna keep going forever uh i <laughs> seriously hope he doesn't but where would you like to see this franchise go next similar to what we're talking about with bond like what would you, you know how would you want it reinvented post tom cruise 
I don't know how you do it without putting a big name at the top. I uh, my instinct initially was say uh, to make a TV show, but I don't think they make TV shows like Mission Impossible anymore. I, I think the budgets just aren't there to change sets every week and change yeah. cast and stuff. It's just not it's the level not of stunts. Possible. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not possible. Well, yeah, what we've come to expect from Mission, I think yeah. you find. I think you take a break. Definitely. You, you take a five-year break. You 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 re-release them on 4K or something like that, some sort of combined set and do some press. Get people thinking about the nostalgia for a little while. Go silent, uh, ghost, and then come <laughs> back with a whoever is a big lead at the time. And this is this is, I mean, Henry Cavill's been played already, but like Tom Cruise was a known entity in 1996 when yeah. they yeah. cast him in this one. He was one of the biggest yeah. movie stars then. He still is now. Yeah. So you find someone in 20. 30 or 2028 or whenever we're talking about who mm. is at tom cruise level and you make him the lead or her the lead and yeah. that's who you know ten, that's your anchor for the next four films and you just start again if you yeah. want you can have tom cruise in to be like the head of the imf like handing over to a new team giving mm. out the mission maybe so keep some continuity but also i would be totally fine if you just started again yeah I don't know what the answer is because I, I would almost be like, you know what? Once Tom Cruise is done, just just seal it up. But that'll never happen. That's uh, that's of <laughs> course, you know, they're going to want to exploit that at some point again. I think the problem is that they have established these movies are their lead actor doing stunt work that is like the greatest in the world. Mm-hmm. They have yeah. become like, you know, Jackie Chan films basically, where it's like you are going to watch Tom Cruise achieve something that mere mortals like ourselves cannot. <laughs> and I don't know how many actors are up to that or have the power. Cause the thing is Tom yeah. Cruise is a producer on these movies. Mm-hmm. He has yeah. so much clout in being able to put himself in these situations. If yes. you were to fire him or, you know, have him walk away or whatever after the next one and have say Chris Hemsworth jump in, he can't do that stuff. Like he's not no. going to be allowed to do that stuff. No. And so I think they have a real problem in terms of like, creating mission impossible movies in the future that can deliver on the expectations fans will have because of these movies. Yeah. So I, I think it's going to have to be like a radical reimagining. Like, it, yeah. I don't think they can fall into the same template as these movies. I think it's going to have to be an entirely different take the way that Nolan's Batman was to the Tim Burton Batman's. Yeah. It's got to be something a hundred percent different. And I just don't know what that is. I mean, it's up to someone far smarter than me to figure that out. Yeah. And I've, I've got it. Uh oh. <laughs> I said smarter than me, Scott. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you finally make the mission impossible. Just saying. Oh. After after eight, like oh, you haven't fail at the end. It's actually impossible. <laughs> Everyone would be so mad, but like I would be entertained by the sheer like gumption it took to do it. Yeah. They show up, yeah. look around, and go. No. Yeah. Just turn and walk away. (laughs) It gets the mission. He's like, no, I don't choose to accept it. Throws over his shoulder and just walks out. Yeah. The one thing I could suggest, and this is like a smaller thing, not about part of the larger storytelling of the movie, but like the TV show, which I mean, I've only watched a couple episodes. I'm not a big TV guy, uh, but I've seen a couple. Big on the ensemble. uh, And it's very ensemble driven. So I would say like that's one way to shake it up is to go back to the basics, which is make it an ensemble-driven franchise. But you're going to have to obviously come up with ways to deliver the big-budget experience people want in a way that can kind of sidestep the Tom Cruise expectations. Yeah, I think it's possible. 
it's not impossible. Um, but I, I think you've kind of hit on it, and that's kind of where my thinking with Mission Possible has been for a while. And that is, I, I, I loved again your your Mission Possible review, so everyone go listen to that as well. But um, the you you because you didn't grow up watching the show or have a lot of you know affection for it, the Mister Phelps thing didn't bother you. Yeah, which I totally get because at, at the time when I was a kid, it I I under, I knew who Phelps was, and but I kind of view the show and these movies as separate. I don't view them like as the same continuity. Um, but I'm always like, go back to Mr. Phelps, go back to the ensemble, like just go back to mission impossible and just make smart spy thrillers that, you know, because I think, I think you're right. You have to, you're going to have to sidestep the, the big crazy action and, you know, do the Nolan thing, do the casino rail thing where it's like, okay, we're going to, we're gonna have to make this smart. It can't be big action. It's got to be smart spy stuff now. Um, to kind of win win people over in a, in a, in a different way. I, I would love I would love to see that personally, but um, who knows what'll happen? I think it'll probably be the Tom Cruise is in charge of the IMF dealing 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 out missions and coming in to save the day with his <laughs> his walker. <laughs> well, you know what you say that, but like with uh, Top Gun Maverick, a mm. lot of the way that they put those young actors into I don't want to say dangerous situations, but situations that most actors into don't the have danger to deal zone. With. They put yes. them into the danger Thank zone. You. Yeah, you know, they had those, you know, those young actors up in those planes, you know, hurling yeah. out their guts into bags, <laughs> basically. And yeah. why were they able to do that? Because Tom Cruise is a producer on the movie. Yes. And he can oversee the production. So if you do have him, you know, hang out as like the leader of the IMF or something at the age of 70, yeah, he could somewhat push through you know it's true doing these larger stunts with the right actors and you know the younger actors who can do this stuff so that might mm. be a necessity to yeah. maintaining that level of um blockbuster kind of thrills and by having yeah. him on like the poster still the people who are underneath him don't have to be as big as tom cruise so you can then cast yep. you know five or six people names that people know but aren't necessarily like hollywood leads and they can form your new imf team for the next film or two you know, you yeah. look at like the Oceans films. They're not stunt spectaculars, but they have a great ensemble. Yeah. And it's all about, it's a heist, which a lot of these mission films are just heist films, basically. Yes. So you get a good team of people who have great rapport. You might have a good film on your hands. I just had a, I just had a, a, a thought run through my head because Ethan Hunt goes rogue in every single movie. <laughs> I just figured as, as Ethan, as head of the IMF, it's going to be the agents. Oh God, the head of the IMF has gone rogue again. We got to, we got to go find him and tame him and bring him back to the office and, Set him, set him back down because he won't stop going rogue. Maybe they should make IMF cool again. Maybe that should be their mission because the they thing is to. like, yeah, yes, uh, Ethan Hunt and his team are cool, but they're always mm. butting up against what the IMF is doing. So yes. like maybe let's get back to making IMF actually a cool agency people would want to work for. Yes, and I think the first two films kept it that way. And then after once three hits, it just be, just kind of goes off to... It needs to be the Ethan Hunt show more than I mean number two is well they're all the Ethan Hunt show but you know what I mean um, even the first one though the second like that mission goes wrong he has all of his superiors turning on him and Henry <laughs> Zerny like trying to like basically arrest him so yes. it's like I don't know maybe like we need to get back to like a really really cool IMF where you're like this is like kind of that wish fulfillment or fantasy kind yeah. of organization to work for. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, right, we should we should probably wrap this up, guys. Um, I had a lot of fun chatting with you about your your, your how your journey to Spy Hards, talking James Bond, talking Mission Impossible. Um, where can people find you on the interwebs uh, if if they so choose? 
Well, we are terrible at being spies because you can find us everywhere. Uh, literally everywhere. Uh, we have every lockdown. Th- we have every domain, every at as spyhards. S P Y H A R D S. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even TikTok. We're there. And anywhere you're listening to podcasts, even here on YouTube, if you're watching it on the video, you can just search for spyhards and watch us that way. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah. So everyone, go check out spyhards. There will be links in the description of this video if you're watching on YouTube or uh, if you're listening on Spotify. There will be links for for you to uh, to listen to uh, their wonderful podcast. Um, so yeah, uh, this was a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully have you back on in the future. Awesome. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having us here. It's uh, interesting to discuss the futures of, of Bond and Mission. I suppose by next time we'll uh, we'll be on. We'll have an idea of what's happening. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, no kidding. Cool. Uh, Well, until next time, everyone, thanks for listening, and we will see you later. The Secret Secret Shepherd.